This is Conquering Columbus. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. This is your co-host, Mike, here, and today on the show, we're talking with Myron Leff, founder and CEO of Leff & Associates. During the episode, we talk with Myron about his extensive career in the marketing industry and how he has found success over the years. Uh, One of the things that really stood out was the importance of selling people what really made them successful, even if that might not be your product. As a salesman, you want to make revenue, but your long-term perspective ought to be what's good for your client, because long-term, that's really what's good for you. And we sat down and I told him I didn't want him to take his three-quarter page ads into full page ads. I said, we need to diversify your audience and exposure to more. And his comment was, to me, you're the first salesman that ever recommended looking at another medium. Mm-hmm. And that's how we've guided a career. We also talked about how doing great work means knowing what work you need to do and what you need to delegate. I've been told many times in my career I shouldn't be designing ads, (laughs) but at least I understand the process. That gave us and me a great fundamental understanding of what we need to bring to the table and that I needed to be smart enough to make sure that I hired people that did what I couldn't do. We wrap up talking about why Myron wants to be a lifelong learner and what he hopes to do looking forward. Hint, it's not just retiring. But I'd never want to retire. Back to Youngstown State, we had a course called Dynamic Thinking. We all took it because it was an easy A. But the reality is it was one of the best courses I have. And I still have the legal pad where I wrote down my life's goals, how much money you want to make, how many kids do you want to have. And I wrote in... 1970, I never wanted to retire, and I, and I don't. I do not want to retire. I just want to be able to play more golf and ride more horses. As always, we hope you enjoy this episode, and let's dive right into the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. This is your co-host, Mike, speaking. We've got Josh and Tim in the booth. Guys, what's going on? Not much, man. It's about to storm today. Um, other than that... Yeah. Uh, I can't think of anything too exciting that's happened in my life or that I've even heard about in, in Columbus, for that matter. What's, Tim, what, what's exciting is happening? You are a new, you're a news guy. Uh, well, no, I don't know. I just got back from Indiana, and I got worked this weekend on sports. I had two of my favorite bets, and both of them missed. Oof. So I'm, uh, I'm recovering from that, and that's about it. Was it a big bet? Yeah. Oh, disappointment. I had two. I mean, I'm sure this is not really a sports betting podcast, but I had two that I really, really loved, and all the, all the signs pointed to them. Being great bets, which is when I get the most scared. For example, last night, Tampa Bay. You can't Bay, find anything wrong with it. Tampa Bay and Boston, I needed over eight and a half runs. Mm-hmm. Tampa Bay left like 14 players stranded on, on base, and they still scored seven. So all I needed was them to play baseball better, and mm-hmm. it cost me a lot of money. I still had a good weekend, though, so things they, could be worse. Did they shut out Boston? Nope. One run? I think it was five to two was the final seven uh, total. Gotcha. Yeah, they left a ton stranded. That's tough. That's so that's tough. frustrating because, you know, I did the math. Yeah. And I did not get paid. There you go. Well, this is not a sports betting podcast. It's it could actually be. a podcast where we interview people. So maybe we should introduce our guest for today. And uh, today on the show, we're going to be talking with Myron Leff. And Myron is the owner and founder of Leff & Associates, a business and marketing consultant firm with focuses on strategic business and marketing plans, brand development, and management consultation. Myron started the company in 1996 and has continued to run the firm until today, growing the business along the way. We're excited to talk with Myron about uh, Leff & Associates and some of the challenges his clients face and how his team helps solve them. So welcome to Conquering Columbus, Myron. It's great to have you here. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Yeah. Appreciate you coming in. And, uh, you know, one of the first places we always like to start is just get a little background on yourself and your story. So maybe as far back as have you always lived in Columbus? No, I'm very happy to be here. 
original Pittsburgher, born in Pittsburgh. Okay. So are you a uh, Steelers fan? Because yeah, actually, uh, my first full time job uh, was a vendor for the Steelers, Pirates, and Panthers. So there is a lot of black and gold at the left household, <laughs> and a lot of clothes to match it too. Yeah. So grew up in Pittsburgh, uh, graduated from high school in Mount Washington, and then went to uh, Youngstown State. And that began my Ohio Association. I went to school on Thursday, 1965. While this is a podcast, all of them are surprised that I'm that old. Um, and went to freshman orientation dance, and there was a beautiful girl there. And uh, we've been together 56 years. Wow, congrats. congrats. Yes, thank you. I was in pre-med and realized that I wasn't smart enough to be a doctor, and I needed to figure out what I could do in life going forward. And um, I thought I'd be pretty good with public relations, and they had an advertising PR major at Youngstown State, and um, that catapulted me into the industry that I've been in now and working in for 54 years. I had to work my way through school, and... um, the career counselor said, what's your major? And I told her, and she said, the Youngstown Vindicator's looking for somebody. I went to Youngstown Vindicator, started in a composing room. And what is a Vindicator? It's the local Youngstown newspaper. It is their dispatch. Right now, it's really the, the masthead for the Warren Tribune paper that took it over because, unfortunately, within the last year, the Vindicator had to cease its publication. But the people that came out of that group and the kind of people that worked in there were, were unbelievable. Actually, they were the, the, the foundation of how I guided my career because what I didn't know, they taught me, and what I did wrong, they fixed. And, mm-hmm. and it was really, really a nice job. So I went from the composing room, which back in those days, there was lead type and mats, and we had linotype machines. And I watched the whole evolution now to where I push a button on my printer and get a four-color printout faster than I could get a four-color ad in the newspaper way back when. I learned a lot. They promoted me out of the composing room, and I became a sales. And I didn't know enough that you weren't supposed to not get sales when you went out. So they gave me the list that hadn't been advertisers, and I converted them and Spent the, the next four years going through the advertising sections of the. So I did national, so I got to work with big agencies. I did local, so I got to deal with the retail. I did classified, so I know how to put jobs together. And, and that was the foundation of trying to figure out what the clients really needed. There was a big advertiser, and I sat down, and as a salesman, you want to make revenue, but your long-term perspective ought to be what's good for your client, because long-term, that's really what's good for you. And we sat down, and I told him I didn't want him to take his three-quarter page ads into full-page ads. I said, we need to diversify your audience and exposure to more. And his comment was to me, you're the first salesman that ever recommended looking at another medium. Mm-hmm. And that's how we've guided a career. What's the objective of your client, how do we help you make the better, and how do we increase sales? That's how we should do it. So anyhow, that I went from uh, Youngstown, graduated, was number one in my class, had an offer from then the largest, fifth largest agency in the country, Ketchum, Cloud and Grove. They were based in Pittsburgh. We'd actually selected an apartment to move to, and uh, two weeks before I was supposed to start, 
the job went out. It was the first recession since the war. And I talked to what was called the personnel director back in those days. I can't believe it. You told me not to interview that I was going to have the job. And he said, that's right. Things changed. I just laid off 65 people with experience yesterday, and there's no reason to hire you. And that stunned me. Uh, that was the most humbling experience, and it stays with me every day to know how fragile you can be. And I try to teach that to the folks that, that come up and work for you. Just do the best you can do. And it took me till September to get hired. And as I said, I was newly married then, and uh, my wife went and worked two jobs while I sent resumes out in the morning and played tennis in the afternoon. But I got a job. They hired this 22-year-old kid at the Woolco store to be the advertising manager. I don't know what they saw, but that was a job. And, and I got that. And um, after I got back from active duty in 72, uh, they promoted me to regional advertising director. And I moved to Chicago. And at 25 years old, I was in charge of advertising in 14 states. And most of the people that reported to me as old as I am now. And that was a learning experience too. But it was great. And then company here in town, Federated Division called Gold Circle, hired me away. And we were ecstatic to get back to Ohio. We had a good time in Chicago, nothing against Chicago. But it was nice to be back in Ohio. And other than one year in Dayton, we've been here since 1976. Now, and when I left Dayton, I, I had a big career in retail ahead of me, uh, but I also was working extraordinary hours, and I had to make a decision about what we were going to do, because now we had a son. To, and this is leaving Golden Circle, you said? Or Gold I left Circle. Gold Circle. I went to Elder Beerman in Dayton for a year, and then had to step back and say, okay, what's right for the family? What can I do? And because of, we lived in the Gables up until actually five years ago, we had a house. So we came back here and a lady that I met through AdFed said I needed to come work for her agency. It was called Derbero and Associates. But I told her, I, Margaret, I'd really like to work with you, but you can't afford me. She said, let me decide that. And little did I know that she had an agency that not only had traditional agency work as we look at it now, but they also were the firm that was working with Time Warner, and every franchise that Warner has in this country came through Columbus, Ohio. And if you look at the history of cable with Cube, Nickelodeon, all that, that's what they did. We had 117 people. I took the agency, traditional agency work with 17 people, and those other 100 worked on doing proposals, RFP responses for Warner to set that up. Hmm. We did that. I had an option to buy the company. Option wasn't going to work out because, unfortunately, the Derberos uh, that worked together were also going to get divorced. One of your questions that you asked about, did I always want to be an entrepreneur? Uh, back then, I couldn't say it, and I'm not sure I could spell it now, but my former creative director, who was with me at Gold Circle, came to work at the agency in we realized that that's when now was the time to try it, and we did it. We opened up downtown here at, at Broad and Grant. We were in a basement office. We didn't need an intercom because we sat next to each other, and we went from zero employees and zero revenue 
We built it to the eighth largest in central Ohio, then called Backer Spielgoville Bates, uh, which was Wendy's agency. Had an office here. They were handling the Wendy's account. They needed some help. Dave Thomas, the founder of Wendy's, told his executive VP, Charlie Rath, see what we can do with Myron and worked out a deal and we merged with the world's fifth largest agency. So we went from about 25 people down here at Broad and Grand to about 75 here. And, and I was fortunate. I, was, I had an office in a Chrysler building in my office here and I had to fly to New York. It was the best of all, all worlds. And they put me on the International Management Committee on my left side was Bill Backer, and on my right side was Carl Spielvogel. They gave the world taste great spilling. They gave the world perfect harmony. And I, I, I couldn't wait to go in a meeting room and sit with my quickly baby to ask me questions. Actually, they asked me questions about finance because back in those days, the agency world was still mostly commission-loaded as opposed to fee, and they weren't sure about that. And my response every time Carl asked me about how we should do this, I said, Carl, you got $122 million to sell your agency. You didn't give me mine. I don't know why you asked me financial advice. Anyhow, we would get past that. And it was a wonderful couple of years. And then decided that I really needed to be uh, operate more independently. And here we are in 1996 now. And I opened Leffen Associates. And so we went from Leffen Squitcherini to Bates to Leffen Associates. Our sponsor is Waveform Music Group. Andy and Carlin have been working with us to take the production of Conquering Columbus to the next level, and Josh and I cannot be happier with the results. Outside of podcast production, Andy and Carlin are experts in songwriting, music production, and sonic branding for companies of all sizes. And to learn more about them, head to their website, createwaveforms.com. That is createwaveforms.com, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. So when you first branched off and you mentioned zero revenue, zero people, and growing it to the eighth largest, what age were you when you first jumped off and did that? I was 36. 36. Yeah. Any, any point in that process that you reflect back on think it, it might not have worked or you just went with it and you were young uh, enough? Uh, or you? No, yeah, there were a couple times uh, that I, w- I was worried um, because, like I said, I never had the entrepreneurial spirit. I had worked inside these corporations and I was pretty successful inside them. Uh, but I said to Squitcherini that if we don't do it now, I don't know when we're going to do it. And the good news was is I was getting recruited all over the country to go back to retail. So I figured if we do this for a couple of years and it didn't work out, I'd have a fallback position. That said, when I went to the bank to develop a line of credit, I realized when I signed that if this doesn't work, I don't have anything. My knees went weak. That's not an exaggeration. And the only time in my life that that happened was when my wife explained what positive meant Hmm. (laughs) because that also is life-changing because now you're going to be responsible for another human Mm -hmm. right so i thought oh my gosh so that that was it but we we were we were fortunate that um we had many clients join us shortly after we opened what do you think drove those clients to you was it just the way that your experience or what they'd heard about you or were they people you'd work with over the past like what do you think gave you that early success? The early success came from people we were already working with who did not want to lose. We were pretty active in the community. Our exposure was high and modestly. Our, our work was really good. Right. I'm curious, what was that degree like in 1965? Like how was school, kind of stuff were they teaching back then? 
you know, that's when you could still advertise cigarettes and movies and, you know, some of the the style, I guess. I'm curious, you know, pre-digital, I create a lot of that type of thing, storytelling and, and advertising. And I pull a lot of inspiration from 60s and 70s VW ads, some of my favorites. Uh, the very simple, very tongue in cheek. And I use old life magazines all the time for inspiration. What were they teaching? Because obviously, you know, they're not teaching you how to write copy for an Instagram ad in that school. So what, what was... It's 1965 degree. You know, what was it, what was that I, like? I, yeah, well, I graduated in, in 70. Okay. Uh, but that's where I learned most of the advertising instructors and professors were adjuncts. Mm-hmm. And they were working in the business every day. Yeah. And so we, we got common sense direction because the fundamentals from 1965 mm-hmm. are no different than what they are now. The methods of delivery are different are different. What's available electronically mm-hmm. is different. But w- when you come up to visit, I still have press type. That's how I put my ad presentations together. I use press type for ad. People listening to this don't even know what that is. What so kind what, of stuff were they, uh, like, what were the classes? Like, what kind of stuff were they teaching you? Was it, did they have titles for it? I'm just curious what the- well, uh, we, had, we, had, we had specialty classes. So mm-hmm. you had marketing, you had copywriting, a class that drove me nuts was an art class where the final was a U-board. Mm-hmm. It was like taking the Pantones and you had to do it by hand. And it was on one board. Mm-hmm. Was it my favorite? Mm-hmm. So we got the global perspective of trying to communicate what you needed to sell, mm-hmm. right? And the focus of each of the elements. And, you know, some people were great at designing ads. I've been told many times in my career, I shouldn't be designing ads, (laughs) but at least I understand the process. Mm -hmm. And that gave us and me a great fundamental understanding of what we need to bring to the table in that I needed to be smart enough to make sure that I hired people that did what I couldn't do. Yeah, that is a very simple concept that a lot of people struggle to understand. You said one other thing that I really enjoyed, I think it's rare, is you try to provide the client with what they need and what's going to help them succeed versus what is the best sell. And I'm surprised being in so many different areas and dealing with different types of work, how many people are trying to just get the sale and get the money versus working backwards. What are you trying to accomplish? How do I help you to do that? Because you may sell them one time, but if you do a poor job, they're going to forever be a bad reference. They're never going to buy from you again. And that money's gone. Where if you figure out what they need, provide that, not only are they going to work with you repeatedly, but they're going to tell their friends. A lot of my personal business is, is almost not 100% is inbound from success. People hit me up. They're like, hey, do what you did for them for me. And then you don't have to fight them on the ads or the copy or your style. You're like, hey, you came to me. Let me do what I do well, right? And so I think that's a refreshing thing to hear because most people are like, we need this. And you're like, why? And they're like, because that's how you always do it. you know. And it's, it's the ability to, to adjust. And that's such, it's in marketing and creative and in, in, in art, but that's in everything and that, that mindset. you know. I think that's, that's, ty- that's a type of the, People say entrepreneur, but I think that's a mindset that if you can bring that into a corporate environment, because you know how people leave the corporate environment to go be entrepreneurs? I think this is going to be a big switch, and I've seen it. People pulling entrepreneurs into their organization because that mindset, if you provide them the the, the, the resources in the runway and let them operate and don't try to like beat them into your like vision of what that role should be, you can have that that entrepreneur way of thinking, but have them operate inside of that system 
and then kind of infect in a positive way mm-hmm. other people in that system, right? So you, what you were talking about, it sounds like uh, you know you've 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 had a career trajectory of something that I've experienced in the in the inverse. I always did it myself, and now I'm like, how can I be a piece of a bigger thing versus always having to do it all myself? So it's really refreshing. There's no question there. This is really to say, like hearing you say that was really refreshing because a lot of, a lot of times you just see somebody trying to close the deal versus trying to create success. It's it's short sighted. Yeah, I, I have a long term client, SEA, so forensic engineering firm here in town. And Jason Baker is the CEO, and he dislikes the word vendor. Mm-hmm. He only works with partners because you've got to be joined for a common good. Yeah. And that doesn't mean you don't debate it. And I oftentimes say, you know, we take you through, sometimes a client even comes up with a good idea. Mm-hmm. You know, let's, let's move with that. But as long as you have the same endpoint, and that's why I'm academic. Uh, I've had people call and say, will you do an ad for me? No, I won't. But I know people that will do it. That's what they're strong at. They'll make an ad. I'm not sure they're going to put an ad in the right publication yeah. or the right messages, but they'll do an ad. I want to be academic. I want to know what we're going to measure, whether I'm going to be successful. I don't want to hear that we failed because we decided to make the brochure green instead of blue. Mm-hmm. Not, we're not going there. We're going to put it on the business, and then we're going to judge whether we met, did not meet, or exceeded your sales subject mm-hmm. or your internal morale, those kinds of things. And how, where do they tie around? Mm-hmm. So you can do what you just talked about. Yeah, It's a culture from leadership to either allow that kind of open discussion and encourage it or watch bureaucracy and politics drag down really talented people. Yeah. If you just, if you establish uh, deliverables and then you look back, did we, did we do it or not? There's no objective. It's, you know, you can't, you can't fight based on, did you score points or did you not score points? Right. You know, like there's a, there's a team that won because they scored more points and you can, you can apply that. So that's a, it's a very simple concept, but I think it's, it's difficult to execute. Clearly you've done it successfully. Um, Thank you. So when you, when you switch over to your own, what's, what's your, what was the big change there from like, what was the thing you wanted to do differently when you leave in 86 to, to start your own thing? Was it just the creative control? Was it you, you wanted to make your own hours? What was the big, was there one defining yeah, the, the, aha the, moment or the, whatever? Yeah, the defining move was the agency that I was working with wasn't going to exist in its oh, form. Yeah. And I had, to make, I had to make a decision of where I wanted to go. And as I said earlier, I had the fallback position with some job offers. So I was, gonna, I was willing to take that risk. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, that, and that's what did it. And then in 96, when I opened this, uh, I decided that I needed to be back in an environment where I had more direct control and input. And makes sense. And this worked out. Yeah. So today, Myron, what is, what is, there's two parts to this. So from 96 to now, what's changed for Left and Associates? And what does, the relationship with your clients look like today? What type of problems are you working on with them? What do people come to you for? What, I guess if you were going to say, hey, this is kind of where I work best and I operate best and our team operates best, what, what would that be like? Okay, so I'll take your first question. The, 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 big, the biggest change has, has been in electronics and the, the, the digital world. I mean, that has really been something. And, and, and I've had to work hard to, to adapt and, and learn it. That's been the, the biggest change. The fundamentals... They haven't changed since the 60s. The client mix, I'm fortunate to have a, an extraordinarily good 
current and past mm-hmm. clients list. Uh, it touches that touch all all markets. I'm much smaller. I work with uh, now a group of freelancers that I need with their specialty when I need them. I still like to work, as I said, academically. I like to do strategy, business development, and then we can do marketing and, and brand brand building. There's a difference between brand and branding. And when I'm at the Fisher School lecturing, I try to make try to get this really clear. Brand is synonymous with reputation. So you you earn your value over execution or lack thereof. Branding is advertising, promotion. That's the fun stuff. But if you're not going to back up that promise by operating correctly, delivering correct services or products, doesn't matter what you put in ads, whether they're digital or TV, Mm -hmm. name your medium, that's what it is. And people have got to protect their brand. And everybody has an image. That's a, that's a word I watch myself use everybody. It's all encompassing words I try to stay away from, but you know, never always. But that's what you have to protect. There's a personal brand. There's an organizational brand. And, and it's the brand of what you do day after day, what your product provides day after day, what your service provides day after day. The exercise that I do when I'm uh, doing a presentation is that I throw a bunch of logos up because uh, many times I'll run into business people and say, oh, I'm going to change my logo. My brand's better. Eh, we'll put logos up. And then I ask people to write on a legal pad what comes into their minds first. Because what I see when I see uh, nationwide, I'm looking out your window here, uh, what does that mean to me? And you have 10 people around the room, and I'll bet you you get eight different answers. So, what, so that's when you start to dig in. Is that really what you want them to think? Or why do they think that way? So you do that analysis, and then you can craft the message once you make the commitment to what you want to be. We're going to take a quick break here to thank one of our sponsors, the Burlett Family Foundation. The Burlett Family Foundation is committed to serving as a trusted partner and resource to organizations striving to improve our community here in Columbus. All right, let's get back to the episode. Talk about things from a strategic perspective. Like how do you how do you go about working strategically with so many different types of businesses and approaching each situation uniquely and providing them with a solution that's right for them? Like what does that process look like when when a client engages with you? Interestingly enough, the process is the same, whether it's peas or forensic engineering or HVAC, the process is the same. The delivery and the message gets changed based on what needs to, to be accomplished. But the questions are the, are the same. We did work for lots of healthcare systems, Ohio State, Children's Hospital, the list goes on and on. But I can take that and I took it to manufacturing plants. It's, as I said, the, the infrastructure, the strategy development are operated by the same questions the answers are different. And that's when you take the experience in intertwining that with industry knowledge and can come up with, we hope, brilliant messaging. It comes down to, can you do what you say you can do? How simply can you boil down 
to make it understandable and what's the value to the person. So many people get so passionate about their story or their reason or whatever. And, and, and you gotta say like, why should I care? You know, if I am the attended audience, why do I care? You know, and that's such like a shock, you know, so they're always yes. like this and that. And you're like, yeah, but who cares? Why do I care? You know, and like, yes. and it's, it's, if you can, if you can take something complex and t- say it simply, you know, yes. when people are like, oh, it's so difficult. It's like, okay, well, can you really do what you're trying to say you can do, or are you, you know, overwording or trying to sound, you know, amazing. It's like, well, what, like, what is it? You know, you can just, you can describe any massive company or any epic thing with like the, the, the problem they solve or why, why it's valuable. I'll give you an I exa- think that's the most fun. The most yeah, fun. That we, is fun. We talked about Volkswagen, you know, in the seven or sixties yeah. and seventies and they had Wilt Chamberlain at the time who was like seven foot one. Yeah. And the, it was basically the ad was like, it's not for him, you know? Like, this is what the car is. We know what we are. They're like, but if you're like, a, one of their ads says, if you're a mere six, seven or less, you know, you'll fit, you know? And so it's like a little bit funny, but yeah. it is, it's knowing exactly what you are, you know, and they're not, Volkswagen was never trying to be Porsche or, you know, Ferrari or Lamborghini. They, they were like, we know what we are and here it is, you know? And so I think that's like a lot of companies could learn from that. Yeah, it's interesting you say that, but not just because of the Volkswagen advertising, part of my system when I'm asking questions, like we talked about the logo, I ask the participants to describe the company by what car it would relate to. Oh, really? Yes. I use that a lot too. Yeah. They, yeah. And so again, around the table, these people work with each other mm-hmm. and the answers are astoundingly different. Yeah. That says we have a problem. Yep. How do we fix that problem? I did the brand scenario with a very large company 30 years ago, here in time. And these were all senior executives. They all were well-paid. They were all smarter than I was. And I did that exercise. And the CEO stopped the meeting. He said, this is astounding to me. We have got to go back to ground zero. And they did. I give them a lot of credit. Nice. Thought everybody was on the same page. And they weren't. Nobody was being mean to anybody, but they all had a different perception of the company. Yeah. And he knew that couldn't be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it makes a lot of sense. So, Myron, you know, do you see yourself continuing to do this forever? Do you have like, what do you what do you see for the future goals for Left and Associates? And uh, we're going to go on. Yeah. We're going to go on. I don't have any ever attention to retire. I did decide, actually, a few weeks ago, August 1st, I, I did reduce some hours. I'm proud to say that I'm a co-founder of the Interscholastic Equestrian Association hmm. called the IEA. That's, f- that's horses, Josh. Yeah, we're, yeah, got it. No, I thought it was stars. I thought you said something about the stars. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we co-founded that. We founded the organization in... Um, went operational in 2002. We had our first meeting in 2000, and we grew that from the first year of 250 kids in Ohio to now the United States, maybe the world's largest youth equestrian association. We provide the horse and the tack for every ride, and even during COVID, we did 1,000 shows last year. We're now in second generation, kids come through the, the program. Very fortunate uh, that you want your family to be your legacy. I think we're pretty close to that. And it's very hard to have a business role that's a legacy and does well. So we built that, and it grew from volunteer, volunteer, that I took on the COO, CMO role. And um, 
I stepped away from that role, went back on a board as a voting member August 1, because I finally hit the point where 65 hours a week was hard to maintain. So that was a hard decision, but the correct one. But I'd never want to retire. Back to Youngstown State, we had a course called Dynamic Thinking. We all took it because it was an easy A. But the reality is it was one of the best courses I have. And I still have the legal pad where I wrote down my life's goals, how much money you want to make, how many kids do you want to have. And I wrote in 1970, I never wanted to retire. And I, and I don't. I do not want to retire. I just want to be able to play more golf and ride more horses. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's something you'll see more and more, though, as... Uh you know, I think that the notion that everyone should retire at 65 is slowly kind of dying on the vine, if that makes sense. Because what you see is when you don't have a purpose, I think it really impacts your life in a lot of a lot of ways. Like, I don't plan on retiring at a very young age, potentially ever, because I think that when I've seen the most successful people I know and the happiest people I know, it's because they have a really solid sense of purpose and they have... Yes a goal in life and something they're pushing for it. So I think it's something that you'll see less and less of. I mean, maybe I'm wrong because you also have the fire move. What is it? The fire movement. Um, is that the one that retire early movement? Like it is like a movement of like retiring at 40 or 50, but they, they say that, but then they're like, they get to do whatever they want. Right. So the idea is make enough money that you can spend your time doing what you want to do. But still, I don't think you'll yeah, see that. That is a, a thing that I heard growing up from like your Dave Ramsey and stuff like that, not to shit on him, but <laughs> like basically live a terrible life until you're too old to enjoy it. And then you can afford things. I'm like, nah, that's not right. That's not for me. I'm, if that works for other people, that's fine. But you know, they're like, I'm just going to drive this terrible car until I'm 70 and then I'll buy something I like. Yeah. You know? I'm like, nope. I, I think you got to do the best you can do with what, what you have mm -hmm. waiting for it to happen. Yeah. It's obviously. very, very risky because uh, it's a natural course of getting older mm -hmm. things start not to work so well right? yeah and i mean and so uh, i mean I, that I in like a to, yeah but Sorry. you want to go to europe right and you delayed that trip mm -hmm. right you couldn't go to europe if last year was the year you wanted to go yeah right or you now have a malady where you can't leave mm -hmm. you just have to also be practical that when you're name the age and you don't have enough money to go to europe but okay it's still something to strive for mm -hmm. but well, I give everything up for months or years for, yeah, uh, it's a personal I, decision, I, but it's hard to understand. I mean it in like a quality of life sense. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. To figure out what you want rather than like, I want all the money to figure out what it takes to, mm -hmm. to live in a place. Cause like living in home, like I'm never going to live in a, an apartment I don't like, or a condo I don't like, or a house I don't like yeah. like that. I'll make it happen. Cause that's such an important mental, right. physical, everything, you know, and obviously people have struggles. I'm not saying yeah. they don't, but don't like underspend everything so that you can eventually enjoy it. I'm like, do what it takes now to, to, to be happy and then work towards what you need. I, I think th a realistic goal is what I'm I, saying. Yeah. I th yes. I think being realistic because you can get thrown curves, mm -hmm. right? Like the example I gave you coming out of college, right? yeah. I went from, you know, like, Oh, my head's too big to fit in the room to, Oh my gosh, there's no room that wants my face. And, and that that's stunning. Mm -hmm. And we've been through a couple bad periods. Oh, one, 02, 08, and 09 were indescribable mm -hmm. how hard it was mm -hmm. to do your craft as good as you may or may not be. Yeah. Right? So you, you got to put a plan together, work the plan, and then be able to react.
Hey, everybody. Mike here. We're going to take a quick break to talk about one of our sponsors, One Columbus. And we are very excited to partner with One Columbus. They really, really share the same vision as us here at the Conquering Columbus podcast, which is uh, really building up the Columbus region to be one of the most prosperous regions in the United States. And One Columbus serves as the business location resource for companies across central Ohio and around the world as those companies grow, innovate, and compete within the global economy. And they help us lead a regional growth strategy that develops and attracts the world's most competitive companies, it grows a highly adaptive workforce, and prepares our communities for the future, inspiring innovation across the board. Their mission really is just ensuring the Columbus region is a vibrant place to build businesses and careers. So again, we really appreciate all of their support. You want to learn more about them, go check out their website, columbusregion.com. That's columbusregion.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll be right back into the episode. So Myron, I think uh, that's, a, that's a good place to kind of head towards some of our last questions of the show, unless Josh, Tim, you guys got anything left? I got nothing. I no. learned about, uh, I, I learned that equestrian's not stars today, and I learned a great amount about Myron's life, and that's all I could ask for. There you go. I rode a horse <laughs> twice to do better. in my life, and I got knocked <laughs> off. So. You need to set better goals. <laughs> but, did, did everybody ignore the fact that Tim just got knocked off a horse? I've yeah, ridden, I've ridden, I heard that. Yeah, I twice in it. my life I've ever ridden a horse. One time successful, one time I got kicked off. Yeah. 40 se 47 breaks in that hand came off a horse, but I still yeah. go out west and move cattle. And Oh, no, I'm good. And work and I'm glad ride. you enjoy that. Was that was that one fall? I don't trust horses. One fall. I don't trust wow. them. They're too smart Seriously. for me. Yeah, I stopped my fall with my hand. Yeah. That's what it did. Like, I think uh, my buddy got knocked out one time too. He was behind one and it kicked and hit him. Yeah. So my my experience has been very limited with horses and I'm I'm good. Yeah. yeah. And I let, let me step back before all my equestrian friends listen to story. It was bad instruction. It was operator error. <laughs> the horse did nothing wrong. I was too inexperienced back then to be an, on an off the track thoroughbred mm -hmm. to tell it to go fast. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you slow horses off the track are really fast mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah well so myron you know our last two questions center okay. around a little bit of uh, advice for our listeners number one uh, you know is uh, would you have any advice for our listeners out there a lot of them are young professionals entrepreneurs people in like the 20 to 35 range now we do have people outside of that too uh, i say that every time nobody's confident getting mad at me yet so thank you for that but uh, yeah so would you have any advice for them work hard stay honest be involved with your community. One of the best pieces of advice I received when I came to Columbus to live, one of the people in media said, find something you really like and help make the community better. And I would suggest that there's more than just earning a living. It's, it's also making the community better. Pick something you like. Don't pick something to put it on a resume. Don't go into a meeting because you think you're going to make it contact people see right through you. But find something you like and work hard around that. That's solid advice, Myron. And our last question of the show uh, is centered on the theme here on Conquering Columbus, and that is live uncomfortably. And without telling you too much about why we chose that particular phrase, what do you think of when you hear it? How does it apply to your life and career? Live uncomfortably? Yep. Ride a horse? Yeah. <laughs> I try to avoid living uncomfortably react to the situation, but that is not a goal of mine to live uncomfortably. <laughs> <laughs> Every time it's happened, it's because it was an outside force causing it. Myron, Mike is my outside force that forced me to live uncomfortably. And earlier I was uncomfortable when he said, 
One of the final questions is centered around advice for our listeners. And the question is, do you have any advice for yeah, our listeners? Yeah, yeah. Well, in, in his I, defense. I that slide. Did you notice? I let <laughs> yeah, that go. Yeah. yeah. In his you. defense, that That's is all going to get cut out. So nobody's going to know what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but they but they will hear it because Andy likes to make me look like a fool. So, um, Myron, thanks so much for joining us. And it's been great talking to you. We really appreciate your time on the show. Thank you for having me. And Conquerors, thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed that episode with Myron. If you want to hear more interviews just like this one, go ahead, hit that subscribe button. Appreciate all your support. And we will talk to you next week. Bye.